Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know what that means, my friend. It's time again for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Your monthly look into what's streaming in movies and television and music all across this media wasteland that we have before us and at our fingertips. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV on the show. And usually I'm joined every month by our good friend Andy Sedlak, who talks music. Uh, and But Andy is under the weather this month. Not able to join us. He's on the mend. Uh, but I happen to have a ton to talk about because obviously fall TV season is kind of fully, uh, we're, we're in the swing of it now at this point and lots of new shows that have actually been ones that I've been excited to check out have debuted in the last few weeks. Um, and so I got plenty to talk about. So I think we'll be okay on the content front, but get better soon, my friend. We'll hear from Andy again next month. I can only hope. Uh, I want to urge you, as always, to go over to Overdue Review on YouTube and subscribe to me there. Uh, I, I will not inundate you with content because I barely ever publish anything. But hey, what is there, I think, is is good, especially if you enjoy what you hear on this show. Uh, it's a lot more film-focused, though. Follow me on Instagram and on TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis. You can find Andy on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. You can slide into both of our DMs right there if you have uh, messages for us uh, or questions about the show or anything you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, and you can also find me on Letterboxd now. I am there at Mr. Clint Davis as well, as well, where you will see my list of movies that I recommend in each edition of the show because I know I drop a lot of titles on you during this program every single month. So if you go to Letterboxd and and friend me there, follow me, whatever, Mr. Clint Davis, uh, you can see my list for every episode of the show and all the movies in it uh, that I happen to recommend. So that's that's what I'm doing over there. Uh, this is our edition for September 2022. And I just wanted to say, it's episode number 104, by the way, and I just wanted to ask you if, don't you feel like the award shows, I mean, the Emmys just happened, and 
isn't it just so tiring? Like, haven't all award shows just worn out their welcome by this point? I, I say this as somebody who really, I used to enjoy those shows. And I don't really know how I did. But it was like a different time in the world. And I was at a different place in my life. And I used to really like watching all these celebrities get together, dress up, talk about the movies and shows that they were in. But nowadays, I don't even care to watch the Oscars anymore. And that's crazy to me. I could have never imagined that 10 years ago because I used to truly, dearly love these shows. Uh, I mean, the Grammys, we always kind of just, Andy and I would take the piss out of the Grammys when we would watch it because it was just like, obviously not about the awards, but anymore, I feel like the Grammys is the one that I would want to watch the most because it has the most actual content of what's being celebrated, which is music. It has the most musical performances. It's still a dreadful bore. Um, and the pairings they make up are just like not anything that really anyone cares to, to see. I mean, they're, they're so just lame most of the time. And sometimes they feel like they came out of a hat. Uh, but it, still, it's like that now almost is the one that I want to watch the most because it actually has the stuff in it that I want to see. Whereas when I'm watching the Oscars, it's just kind of a lot of preening. And when you're watching the Emmys, it's a lot of silly shit. And, you know, you realize that this kind of stuff can't be compared against other, you know, shows can't be compared against other shows. Movies can't really be compared against other movies. Actors should never really be in competition with each other for the love of people, uh, because there is enough to go around and crowning someone the best, the best performance is kind of ridiculous. But the Emmys just to me is kind of the nadir of all of it. But it's like the whole thing, the award shows that they're like a relic of an age when celebrities were worshiped. I feel like a lot more than they are now. Certainly we still have celebrity worship, but it was like seeing celebrities was such a rare thing back when award shows first took off, that this was like the only time that regular people were going to be able to see the big movie stars with like out of character because you weren't like inundated constantly with celebrity news. There weren't all these celebrity magazines at every, uh, you know, grocery store checkout line. There weren't a million podcasts and a million, um, you know, TV shows specifically every night about entertainment news. And it was like, and obviously there was no social media, which is the thing that has driven celebrity into the ground so much and demystified it completely. So now it just feels like old hat when we see these people like, yeah, there they are again. I just saw them on Instagram live last night and they answered one of my questions or whatever. I mean, it, it's just like the mystique is completely gone the glamour is completely gone, I feel like, from the world of celebrity. And so award shows now, I mean, essentially, they're just trade shows with better music. And they always were kind of trade shows. It's kind of crazy that they ever even got aired on TV. It's just because of the star power there. But I feel like with that being broken down as much as it has been, um, now, essentially, they're they're pointless. And especially the amount of money that's spent on them and the, the valuable airtime that TV networks give them. And what's so funny to me about the Emmys also is that the networks, you know, the four big networks still jockey to air the Emmys every single year. It rotates between the networks. This year it was on NBC. I'm not sure who'll have it next year, but Fox always uh, airs the Emmys and so does ABC. They air the Emmys. And I, I don't think, 
uh, CBS does the Emmys. I could be wrong about that. I can't remember if they're in that race or not. But anyway, it rotates among the networks. But it's so funny because the networks are like the last ones to ever win any Emmys. Like they don't win any of the awards. So all they do is air advertisements for the shows that are competing against them and the shows that snobby TV people, you know, like present company included, and you probably also uh, are like, you know, we would never touch any most of those network shows with a 10 foot pole. So it's just funny that those are the shows that uh, that those are the channels that exclusively carry the Emmys when it seems totally against their interest. I want to ask you a trivia question real quick. Do you know? It's been since 2014 that a network show won either of the Emmys for best series, and it was for best comedy. It was in 2014, the last time it happened. And I'll give you a second. Do you know which show it was that won best comedy at the 2014 Emmys? It was ABC's Modern Family. So that's the last show uh, from a network that is won for comedy. And we're talking like networks are the ones that still do the most, you know, of those comedies and the high rated comedies and stuff like that. But that category hasn't been won by a network since 2014. We're coming up on a decade on that. And the, the Emmy for Best Drama Series has not won been won by a network since 2006. And do you know what show that was? 06. I'll, I'll give you a second to think about that. It was Fox's 24. That's the last time a network has sniffed the Emmy for Best Drama Series, which is the most prestigious Emmy Award there is, arguably. And it's been since 2006, back when Gerald Ford was still alive. Uh, he he saw 24 win the Emmy for Best Drama Series, and then he died. And he probably thought that the networks were still in good hands. But it's been since then. So it's just amazing that they still air them on the networks. So that's I was just thinking about that when I was reading all the news out of the Emmys and all the terrible glib reviews of of how the show went all right i've been talking too long without lighting my stogie up this is how i usually like to start the show before i go on any kind of rants but let me go ahead and get that out of the way i'm gonna light this bad boy That's right. I'm in my closet. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I record my portion of the show. Usually Andy, he does his segment up in Cleveland where he lives. You know, we bring it all together here on the show. Like I said, Andy's out this month, so you just got me. Uh, but we have plenty to talk about. And as usual, we're going to start the proceedings by digging into our latest pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And it's our 77th entry into the canon of great television show theme songs and for today's pick we're gonna hop into the time machine and go back to the era of y2k right before y2k the months leading up to the new millennium they were full of light-hearted paranoia not the kind of paranoia we have nowadays where it just causes people like really unhinged people to do dangerous things this was like light-hearted paranoia it was like i remember people being like oh my god the banks could shut down but nobody was like threatening to blow anything up because of it it was just like what would happen if that were to come to pass? That would be crazy. I mean, again, this was pre-9-11 world. We were all kind of, we've, we felt untouchable. But um, lighthearted paranoia was crazy. We had a new reliance on tech for much of our modern life at that point in 1999. But the show that we are honoring 
was old school with a capital O and an S in so many ways, including its production style and the musician who performed its theme. This was not new cutting edge stuff. This was old head kind of stuff. And the show we're talking about is Fox's short-lived animated sitcom, The PJs, which debuted on January 10th, 1999, with this beauty of a theme. Once upon a time in the projects. When you think about stop motion animation, which was the kind of stuff that they did on the PJs, and this was legitimate stop motion animation. This wasn't like meant to look like stop motion, but actually done in a computer, which a lot of those kind of shows that look like that now, that's the way they're done. This was legit stop and pose stop motion animation. It took like two months to do every 22 minute episode of the PJs. But if you go back to the 1990s and you think about stop motion animation, the the first things that came to mind for people back then were those old ass claymation shows like Gumby. I mean, we're talking early animation and the Rankin and Bass holiday specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, kind of like really cheesy stuff for people like for Gen Xers. In the 90s, they would have thought of that as like old hat, old kind of very like heartfelt kind of cheesy stuff at this point. So the PJs was totally a throwback with its style because it was full on stop motion. And it was meant to be that way when you understand the guys behind this series who were two kind of old school kind of comedians, Eddie Murphy and Larry Wilmore. They're who co-created this show. Holding down a cardboard condo, homeboy and a homemade bungalow. And you can be forgiven of thinking of the PJs as like an updated version of Good Times because it, it kind of was, it was that same kind of vein because it was set inside a public housing project in a major city and it followed a cast that was almost totally black from top to bottom. Um, so this was this was kind of a spiritual successor of Good Times, but it was edgier i mean it was on fox in the late 90s like i said it was animated so it's a little maybe even sillier um you can do things obviously you can't do in live action but there was just something about it that that connected those two shows and was unique about this series the main character was a guy named thurgood Stubbs, and he was the superintendent the super of the building and he was voiced by eddie murphy Um, usually walking around wearing a robe, basically in like his boxer shorts. The rest of the cast is a collection of black veterans. You got Jennifer Lewis, you got Jeanne Dubois, you've got Phil Morris in there doing voice work. Landing Eddie Murphy, though, as the lead of a TV series, I just want you to understand, like, Eddie Murphy, still to this day, one of the all-time titans of of comedy and of Hollywood comedy, of stand-up comedy, whatever. I mean, he's, it's a name that still rings very loudly, uh, even with all the, like, shitty movies that he did over the years. Like, it's still a name that means a lot. Every time he's involved in a project, it makes headlines. But in the 90s, it was arguably even a bigger deal because he hadn't really had all those you know, big kind of flops. And he was still, people were still thinking about all the things he had done in the eighties where he was like the king of Hollywood. And here he is doing the, playing the lead in a TV series on network TV, which was a pretty huge deal because this was before the time when big time actors were doing TV regularly. This is the same year that shows like, you know, the Sopranos really take off 24, uh, as I mentioned before. So it was starting to happen. 
But the PJs was right at the start of that wave. And Eddie Murphy was a much bigger actor than anybody who was on The Sopranos and, and bigger actor than Kiefer Sutherland. So this was a huge deal to have him doing a show like that. Now it wouldn't seem like such a big deal, but then it was pretty big stuff. In the middle of the end of the day, in one way, But that's enough about the TV show, The PJs. The theme song is what we're here to talk about. And who could be better to bring this thing to life? Then George Clinton, that's who you hear, performing this theme song, which is called PJs. And, I mean, George Clinton, what can be said about the guy? He's one of the gods of modern music, one of my all-time favorite musicians, a tireless innovator who always championed the black identity, first and foremost, never shied away from that in any of his music, but always did everything with a wink. Um but there was so much power in the stuff he created with Parliament and with Funkadelic and with the combination of them and even as a solo artist. So the show's theme song was performed by George Clinton, but it was actually produced by Quincy Jones III. So you got a pretty nice team in the studio uh, for what is just the brief intro to a, a, a television, an animated television show. But the PJs was big budget entertainment, really, and it showed from the opening. Yeah, yeah. I also remember, I don't know if you, if you were around in the late 1990s and you were like big into music at that point, you might remember the PJ soundtrack because I remember when it was out and songs on it were like being played on MTV and it was a pretty kick-ass album, honestly, uh, especially if you were into hip hop and R&B at all. And I was kind of starting to get into that music when it, about this time. Uh, in 1999 and this soundtrack had everybody on it it had q-tip Raphael Sadiq they did a great song together on it um, that still holds up to this day Destiny's Child's on there Raekwon uh, Earth Wind and Fire Goody Mob Snoop Dogg Timbaland uh, Jermaine Dupri DeBrat all of them are on this soundtrack and they're all doing original songs like it's not a compilation album it's a totally original record full of songs done you know like inspired by basically the PJs, but just kind of to go along with the series. Because TV shows back then always did have like a soundtrack that would come out on CD, and it was great. I, I bought so many of those. I loved having those uh, TV show soundtracks on CD. I've got quite a few of them, but the PJs was a, actually a really good one, and it sold really well uh, also. I mean, that's pretty good shit to get all those artists together for a network TV show. And uh, this was back when Fox really did have some edge in the 1990s. I mean, Fox was, especially among the networks, it was the, the you know, the, the kind of hated stepchild of all of the uh, networks. And it was it was edgy. And there was a reason for that. They had built that with shows like The Simpsons and with Married with Children and all kinds of kind of uh, shows that you could never imagine airing on NBC or ABC or CBS, but this was before American Idol, kind of when Fox did become a lot safer. And I think the PJs is a prime example. And it's the it's kind of show that only would have aired on Fox at that time. Sadly, the PJs only ran for three seasons because, well, it was expensive as hell to make every single episode of this show using stop motion. That is never an economical way to make a TV show. And ratings were never really that high. It was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a middling hit. It came on after King of the Hill, uh, I believe, when it was on the uh, in the in the ratings or I'm sorry, in the TV guide. And it just never kind of achieved that kind of mainstream ratings but the the cost of producing the episodes and the time 
that went into him definitely did not help. So it was actually moved to the CW for 2001 for its third and final season before being scrapped after just 40 episodes, just over 40 episodes, I should say, on the air on the on Fox and the CW. You can still stream the PJs now on Peacock if you want to relive what was pretty much a unique flop of late 90s TV. And while you're doing it, you can crank up George Clinton's song, PJs, which is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Cool show, cool theme song. What more do you want? Uh, But yeah, like I said, PJ's is streaming on Peacock. You can also kind of find it sometimes on like Pluto TV if you have that. I really like Pluto TV. Sometimes if I'm like feeling bored or I don't really have anything, like if I'm working, I'll just turn that on because, I mean, it's free and it's like available on every single platform known to man. They have a really nice little guide feature and they will just show endlessly repeating episodes of various series like they'll have a whole channel that only shows walker texas ranger repeats and they'll have a channel that only shows stand-up specials uncensored uh you know just one after another with just a few ads in between uh some of the stops and just a lot of like really kind of like b movies and stuff like that also just playing endlessly and just a lot of classic shows uh just showing kind of on a loop so i love that star trek you'll have a whole channel of just star trek episodes playing over and over and over again so it's kind of cool, but you'll you'll find PJs uh, sometimes on Pluto TV as well. So speaking of TV theme songs, we have honored the theme song from Game of Thrones before in that segment, the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Long time ago, we, we put the Game of Thrones theme in there because it is. It's a powerhouse. It's one of those that stops you in your tracks, uh, makes you look. And it's one of those that even though it's really long, like you don't want to skip it because it just is powerhouse and it's fun to sing along with and make up your own words too and it's uh it's just a a cool kind of kick-ass theme song that really fits the show so that's what that segment is all about so naturally i think all eyes were on hbo max and hbo when house of the dragon debuted because one of the things i was wondering was what kind of like how are they going to top the theme song from game of thrones and it turned out they just used the same theme song which is so weird and lazy and just like can you get a more desperate way to get people to be like hey remember how great this show was this is a like here's a here's a new chapter in that show but do you remember the original show like it's like it's that's exactly what hbo is doing like you couldn't come up with a different song something i mean this is a different show it's totally different in a lot of ways Um, And I'm about to get into that because I want to talk about House of the Dragon here and my initial thoughts on it as we're uh, about four episodes in, I think, at this point when I'm uh, giving you this little early review of HBO's latest hit series from the George R.R. Martin cinematic universe. Um, But yeah, I was very disappointed that they used the same theme song. Like, of course, I love that theme song, but it just totally makes it to where House of the Dragon is not its own thing like it's just uh like an after it makes it seem like it was an afterthought or something which clearly this show isn't because it costs a shit ton of money to make and you can see that in every single episode because the show looks fantastic um but weird that they just didn't come up with their own maybe they tried a few and none of them really felt right so they just were like oh let's go back to the one that worked for all those years 
Uh, but it, that's just a strange, very odd choice to me to use the same. There have been a lot of spinoffs over the years, but I can't think of one that had the same theme song uh, as the show that pre preceded it. I mean, that is weird. So that was a weird choice to me by HBO. But House of the Dragon right now is streaming on HBO Max, and it is airing on Sunday nights on HBO, and it has become, again, kind of a a cultural phenomenon, just like its forebearer, Game of Thrones, was, uh, even during its last few seasons when the show really dropped off in quality. And you can hear my thoughts on that, because I was reviewing Game of Thrones as it was airing. If you go back into our old episodes, you can hear my thoughts on that. You can also hear me really go into detail about why I think Game of Thrones fell apart down the stretch as it did. If you go to the Overdue Review YouTube channel, I've got a long bit on there that was taken from the podcast. If you just want to hear that, you can listen to it. It's about a half hour long, uh, and it'll give you my thoughts on why Game of Thrones was starting to fall apart and show uh, show some signs of weakness there as it went along. And I give some examples of that, but house of the dragon, uh, you know, in its first few episodes, there are ways where it feels the same as game of Thrones. It obviously, it looks very similar because we're set, we're back in King's landing again, and we're seeing the iron throne and we're seeing a lot of the same rooms again, you know, where like, the uh you know where kind of the king is uh, is meeting with his his small council and you know we're seeing the same courtyards the same trees and stuff like that so some of that does feel the same and when we venture out into the city of king's landing beyond the you know the gates of the castle basically that all that stuff kind of feels the same and the revelry that happens out there and and the disconnect between what's going on inside the castle walls and what's going on outside of it all that's the same So it's clearly the same world. This show is set a couple hundred years before Game of Thrones, if you don't know anything about it. And what it focuses on is uh, specifically the Targaryen family. And they're the family in Game of Thrones that, you know, was like mythical because they controlled the dragons is what people feared them. And they ruled the Iron Throne for a long time because basically they had dragons, which were the most powerful weapon that anyone had ever seen and could ever imagine at that point and in the show and in game of thrones we got to see dragons as the show went on and we got to see how devastating their power was uh, all the way up until the last episodes of the series when the dragons were used for uh you know in ways that not a lot of viewers wanted to see them be used but we did get to see their power on full display in several different uh, times during game of thrones but like right from the jump in House of the Dragon, the the dragons are kind of the, the star of the show, really. And anytime a dragon is on screen, I think it is kind of, uh, you know, I, I do sit up a little bit higher because it is just more exciting and you just kind of want to see who they're going to torch this time. Um, but the way there are a lot of ways where House of the Dragon is very different than Game of Thrones and one of those is its focus. This show is so much smaller in like every single way than Game of Thrones was. Now, if you go back to the first season of Game of Thrones, everything feels a lot smaller because the budgets were not nearly as big as they would be. I mean, not even close to as big as they would be by the end of the show. I mean, it's a first season. It's a fantasy show. Like the costumes look good, uh, but everything is just a lot smaller because, you know, it's just an economical thing. 
Um, but the acting was very good. The characters you could tell were like fully embodied already from day one. The casting was phenomenal on that show in the first season. Uh, and really the casting was a strength all the way through, I think. And, and I think the casting has been strong in house of the dragon. Also, that's one place where I'm not going to criticize it, but game of Thrones also felt huge. Even when it was on a tighter budget at the beginning, it felt like we had characters all over this world and we were following each of them for like one scene per episode. And sometimes that would frustrate me with Game of Thrones. It was like, it, it, it was like I want to spend more time, you know, with this character. I want to spend more time with Ned. I want to spend more time, you know, just with, with whoever. Like it was all of them had their strengths. And there were some characters you didn't want to spend so much time with. But a lot of times you'd be like, man, I don't want to switch because you knew if they switched, they were never going to go back to that character until the next episode because it was just like the length of the show and the amount of characters we had. It was just too many of them. So Game of Thrones was always huge and it felt huge. Like every decision that was made felt like it would impact so many people all over this kingdom. And, you know, just there were the, the politics were just so important uh, to everyone's lives. And, you know, you just never quite knew where anyone stood. And there were just so many characters to keep tabs on. And I think that's one of the things that kept Game of Thrones so interesting as it went along. House of the Dragon, meanwhile, tiny. It feels like there are like six characters in this show total. And they're all a lot of times in one room together, like they're not spread out across the, this entire kingdom. Um, with the exception of maybe like one character sometimes will be like off on a mission somewhere, but you know, they're going to come back to King's Landing. It's like everything is just in King's Landing. It's like if you just took the scenes that involved, um, you know, the, like the Lannister family and that was all of Game of Thrones. Like that's basically what you've got here. But the problem is, that the Targaryen family, in the way they're presented here at least, are not nearly as interesting as the Lannister family were. So while that show would have, I think, been entertaining, if you just cut up Game of Thrones and edited together all the Lannister family scenes and had a series out of that, I think that show would probably still be pretty damn gripping uh, and would have all the great villains, the great heroes, cool arcs all the way through and ways that this family changes and comes to ruin by the end of the series and it would all feel satisfying mostly. Uh, but here with the Targaryens, they're just kind of boring and they're not like, they're not that dysfunctional or, and they're not that powerful. It's like they're kind of middling. And what I thought, because when game of Thrones starts, you hear about the Targaryen family as like this dynasty that crumbled and destroyed itself with madness and so it sounded like this family that was just like ruled the Iron Throne with an iron fist and was like unshakable and, um, you know, everyone revered them, feared them, respected them, whatever. And then they just kind of brought themselves to ruin through a lot of bad decision making. But what we're seeing in House of the Dragon is a family that's kind of already like it's very unstable even on the inside, like there's not a great power. There's not a great foundation here. I'm not seeing like a great dynasty that I would, everyone would fear. It really, it's just the dragons that make them tough. The red, the family seems like they would be pretty easy to topple. There's not that many of them and it doesn't seem like anyone really likes them very much. Um, so that's, that surprises me. And it makes me wonder where this show's going to go. Like, with Game of Thrones, I felt like I had an idea in my mind of where it could go. 
where it could progress, where things could possibly end up, what could be the ending, and that would be who in the end is going to rule on the Iron Throne. Whereas with House of the Dragon, I just have no idea like where this show's going, and I don't mean that in a good way, because I think sometimes that would be a good thing. Like I don't want to necessarily know or have an idea of where this is going to end up. But then sometimes a show feels aimless and pointless. And I feel like with House of the Dragon, that could be the case here. Like, I don't know if they have anything in mind beyond, well, let's just give people another taste of Game of Thrones because they loved it so much. And we can't we can't come up with a show that's anywhere near that popular. So we're going to bring back, you know, the the graphic violence and we're going to bring back the graphic sex, even though they haven't really done either of those things in the first few episodes of House of the Dragon. It's been very tame in comparison to Game of Thrones as far as that stuff goes. Um, so I the only the thing, like, it sounds like I'm shitting all over this show, when really I have enjoyed watching the characters that are in this show develop, and mostly uh, it has been down to the, the character of Rhaenyra Targaryen, who's the young princess at the start of the show, and also her dad, King Viserys, uh, it was played by the great Patty Considine and um, also getting to watch Reese I fans playing Otto Hightower uh, has been fantastic. Um, and a young actor named Emily Carey has been playing Allison Hightower. So those characters are kind of the primaries and they have been really fun to watch. I've especially liked watching Millie Alcock, who plays the young Renera Targaryen and also Emily Carey. Uh, playing off of one another like they've been great and they, I, I've bought them as young girls but also ones that are thoughtful and have kind of a lot on their mind uh, beyond just kind of existing in you know whatever state they're in right now so I think both of those actors have done a fantastic job and I've been very impressed with them I find this is a way to be with my mother here in the quiet of the septic. I feel close to her. I know it sounds foolish. I don't think it's foolish. I don't. Good. Because I thought you might try. I. If not for me, then perhaps for them. I've not been, uh, and I'm bummed that the show's going to now, I think in the next episode that comes up, it's going to uh, go forward into the future and those actors are going to be replaced by older actors. So that does bum me out. Um, but I've been kind of less enamored with Matt Smith. I've never been a big Matt Smith guy. He I, he just doesn't do it for me. He's kind of got this thing like I, the characters that he plays is you know, supposed to be kind of a shithead and just this swaggering idiot. And that's kind of what I always get from Matt Smith characters. Like I know he's kind of got that brooding thing and he, but he doesn't do it for me as an actor. I've never been a huge fan of his, not yet anyway. Um, I guess I'm not British enough in that way, <laughs> but so he's been kind of a, a not as great addition, but he's the biggest actor in the cast uh, name wise. So of course that probably means he'll be killed first off uh, among the characters because that's the way Game of Thrones always did it, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but I have not been gripped by House of the Dragon the way I was by those first few episodes in that first season of Game of Thrones. Won't you even right. deny it? I need to understand the charge before I can attempt to discredit it. 
You defiled her. Still, you say nothing. What does it matter, brother? When we were Rhaenyra's age, we fucked our way through most of the brothels on the Street of Silk. We were young men. She is just a girl. Your niece. Here is a woman grown. Better her first experience be with me than some whore. You fucking... You have ruined her. What lord will wed her now in this condition? Who gives a fuck what some lord thinks? You are the dragon. Your word is truth. So that's kind of my quick, you know, review of the first few episodes of the show. I just feel like it's got such a small cast, such a small focus. Um, It feels a little bit aimless to me. And like we know where it's going to end up because we know what happens to this family. So maybe that'll just be the what will intrigue me. But the the family already seems like they're in shambles. From the start, so to me it would be a lot more interesting if we saw them at the opening as this unshakable, just close-knit, very tough, very strong family, and we watch them disintegrate. We're like, we know, okay, over the course of five years, we're going to see this family turn into dust, basically. That would be exciting, but now it's like, from the start, they already look like they're just kind of clinging to to scraps, and uh, so where does it really go from here? Um, other than we know it's going to end in a lot of death, I guess, which is kind of always the thing with Game of Thrones. It's kind of the the constant. Um, but I have, yeah, I mean, outside of the acting, which has been very high level and what you expect. Um, and I, I've, I don't have problems with the writing of the show either. I, I don't feel like there have been awkward, you know, kind of character moments. I don't feel like people say things that don't make sense for their characters. And I'm not like, I don't know the lore of like the books and stuff. So I'm not going to be an expert on that, but, um, I have no complaints on that kind of stuff. Production value wise, it looks awesome. Um, but it's just, to me, it doesn't, it, it feels like, yeah, it is just like bonus features to game of Thrones rather than being its own kind of existing story that really needed to be told. It just kind of felt like they feels like they, they felt like they should do it. Um, because, well, it was going to be a hit, and it has been a hit, so I guess maybe they were right and I was wrong, but I, wa- I want to see more. This doesn't feel like it's going to be in the running for like best series, best drama series, whereas Game of Thrones was always in the running for that and deservedly was until its last few seasons, of course. But even at that point, it was still juggling a lot of big storylines. It still felt like must-watch television every single week, even at its worst. Uh, whereas House of the Dragon just feels a lot more humble. Uh, it, so I hope the world expands a little bit more, and I hope uh, you know we we really uh, get into some meatier stuff, I guess, as the show kind of continues on. Because right now it just feels like spinning the wheels and it feels everything feels a little bit old hat. But maybe that's just me. So if you have thoughts on House of the Dragon, drop me a line at theclintdavis.com at gmail.com or you can hit me up on instagram i'm at mr clint davis i would love to hear what you think about this show i'm right here uncle the object of your ire the reason that you were disinherited if you wish to be restored as heir you'll need to kill me so do it and be done with all this bother. But HBO is not the only player now in the big budget 
adult fantasy series arena, which I guess they weren't because the Wheel of Time, which I kind of raved about uh, when I was reviewing it several episodes back uh, on Prime Video, has been a good example of somebody else doing one that's worth your time. But Prime Video has now come out with a show that's even bigger budget and honestly kind of blows uh, the House of the Dragon out of the water in terms of its visuals. And that is uh, Prime Video's Rings of Power, their Lord of the Rings TV series. We thought our light would never dim. So when the great foe Morgoth destroyed the very light of our home, we resisted. And a legion of elves went to war. We left Valinor, our home and journeyed to a distant realm, one filled with untold perils and strange creatures beyond count, a place known as Middle-earth. And I gotta say, you know, I mean, this show was talked about for a long time and people were like, why are they doing it? Why would they go back and revisit, you know, something that is so beloved and, 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 you know, I mean, the movies were just so long and so impressive and, you know, there have been six of these really long movies and we've kind of, we've, this story has been done to death, hasn't it? But this is a whole different story. This is based on other stuff that J.R.R. Tolkien uh, wrote. So it, it's kind of, uh, again, to, to borrow what I was saying about House of the Dragon, it's kind of like bonus features for the Lord of the Rings, but what it's doing is kind of trying to carve out its own story out of, you know, some basically more scrappy writings that Tolkien had done rather than those full novels that everyone kind of knows and loves by this point. So the Rings of Power is really a story all about um, Galadriel, who's the elf uh, that was played by Kate Blanchett in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, and she was in the Hobbit movies as well, right? Yeah, she was a little bit. Um, but, you know, she's kind of this like ethereal all-around badass in those movies. And here we get to see her more as like a real living, breathing person um, and find out kind of what makes her tick. And really what that is, is um, Sauron. And she's, you know, tri- going to the ends of the earth, basically, to try to find Sauron and, and, and you know, kill him, basically, because she knows that even though they've they've very like they've limited his power by this point because the show at the very beginning of it the first you know kind of opening runs you through all this backstory that you need to know in really kind of impressive fashion it feels like you are watching one of the movies again um and so this is kind of her story really about going after that but there's a lot of other characters that are at play as well and it, it feels like she's going to be putting together her own kind of fellowship if you will but it's not a fellowship to bring a ring somewhere and destroy it it's a fellowship to destroy Sauron himself and we know obviously that uh we we know kind of where this story is headed by where things end up in the hobbit and in the lord of the rings movies but that doesn't i don't think take away the interest of uh, from this story and what you're getting out of the rings of power, at least what I've gotten so far and this, I'm only two episodes into this, so I'm not nearly as, as far into it as I am into, uh, 
uh, House of the Dragon. So maybe unfairly comparing the two series against each other, but these are destined to be compared with each other because they are both adult fantasy series. But The Rings of Power is a lot more family safe in the way that Lord of the Rings was. I mean, it's still got some violence in it. It's still got some scary imagery, stuff like that. But it's it's not going to have sex in it. It's not going to have graphic cursing. It's not going to have graphic violence. Uh, it, although some of the violence is pretty graphic. I mean, you do have like some beheadings and stuff like that, which... I think would scare any like young kids watching the show. And definitely some of the beasts are very frightening, but what you get with the rings of power is a full on showcase of the budget that Amazon was willing to put behind this series to kind of make it something, uh, you know, that would live up to the legacy of those movies because those movies were known as technical powerhouses. I mean, those movies still look good to this day even though the CG on those is more than 20 years old at this point, it still looks really, really good. Um, and I just went back and rewatched them not that long ago, and they're still just as good. Honestly, I feel like that trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, is as good as it gets. All three of them are perfect movies to me in the way they tell this story, but Fellowship of the Ring especially. I mean, when I'm talking, I've told you before on this show, and I'm going to sound hyperbolic here, but I've told you before that I think I consider probably Chinatown to be what I would consider if I was going to tell somebody what I think the greatest example of a movie ever made is. To me, it just does everything right for me. To, that's probably it. But The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring would be right there under it as far as if I'm going to tell somebody this is the what you can achieve with filmmaking. That is about as good as it gets. Uh, it period in filmmaking. I just don't think there's a single movie that may be more impressive than that, especially with all the uh, uh, expectations that were around it, given that it was based on such a beloved piece of literature. I just don't know how you could do it any better than Peter Jackson did with uh, the fellowship of the ring. It is just such a phenomenal, flawless movie uh, and with full of so many iconic moments and it just uses CG in all the right ways. And the acting's great. The casting is perfect. Um, the, the set pieces are brilliant. You wouldn't cut a single moment from it. It's like, it's all just phenomenal. So I love those movies and rings of power to me so far has been impressive. I've enjoyed following the journey. I've enjoyed the pace of it. It's it's very, quiet uh so far it's it's kind of almost a relaxing watch as well it's not like non-stop tension it's not non-stop dread like house of the dragon can be because you're always just kind of wondering what next bad thing is going to happen when you're watching something out of the game of thrones universe but this isn't that way even though there is plenty of darkness in the rings of power it's set at a time when there was like relative peace across middle earth um that's not to say everything is peaceful but Mostly, you know, people are kind of getting along and, and different species are, are trying to put up with one another and learn each other's ways. But, uh, you know, I mean, this is just technically such a gorgeous show. I don't think I've ever seen any TV show look better than The Rings of Power looks. And you may disagree with me on that, but I would say that it's the best looking TV show I've ever seen, strictly from like... It feels like you're watching a, a big budget movie and no TV shows really ever feel that way. The Sopranos was one to me for all the groundbreaking that it did. I always thought the Sopranos was so powerful because of the way it looked. It looked every week like 
a movie and it looked like an, a big budget drama. I mean, it was shot in widescreen. It was letterboxed sometimes. It was like just the framing. It just looked serious. It did not look like anything you would have ever seen air on television. It just looked like something that a film crew would have put together and the way that it was just, you know, edited and the way that the soundtrack was used and everything. Production values wise, Sopranos is still, you know, right up there with anything that's ever been on TV. But the Rings of Power takes it to a whole other level and feels like summer blockbuster on TV, which is crazy because no matter how good a TV show has looked, it's always still been like, well, yeah, it looks good, but it doesn't, you know, it's a TV show. Like if you put that on the big screen, it would still probably look kind of stupid. Um, and they only have like a couple little scenes of CG because they're using their budget very, you know, uh, very diligently. But Rings of Power, like every scene looks amazing. And there are a lot of settings. There are a lot of scenes. The world feels huge. It feels more like the way Game of Thrones felt to me at the start, whereas we've got a lot of characters in a lot of different races, species all across Middle Earth, not just, you know, concentrated in one place. We've got a lot of storylines that are going on all at the same time. So I've been really, I've been impressed with the rings of power. I'm impressed with what prime video has been able to do with it. They've put together some good television shows, but this is shaping up to be the best of what they've done with their powers of, uh, you know, what they've got bankrolling them, which is the most, you know, lucrative business, you know, on earth at this point, uh, with Amazon. So when you've got that behind a, a, a TV series, you know, you should be able to make something that looks really good, and they have been able to do that here. So I've been really impressed with what I've seen from the Rings of Power so far. we got a long way to go to see if it's going to be, like, essential television. Uh, but I do love Morphid Clark. If you've never seen St. Maud, check her out in that because it's a really cool movie. She is so powerhouse in it. Uh, and, I mean, that would have just sold me immediately on, like, yeah, give her her own TV show. So I'm glad to see her in the lead because she plays Galadriel here. And no, she doesn't look like Kate Blanchett, but uh, neither does the guy who's playing Elrond. He doesn't look at all like uh, Hugo Weaving. So we're, we're not really going for that. This is its own thing. Um, and uh, Morford Clark has been really good in the lead so far, and I've enjoyed watching her kind of kick some ass and, and play that part. You want to call her a Mary Sue? You can go ahead and do that. But man, there have been a lot of really cool Mary Sue characters over the years on TV as well. And sometimes that works, especially on a television show and a movie, you know, it's not as interesting um, just because of the, the time constraints we're on. But in a TV show, I think it can work uh, when you've got a hero that's really powerful and, and doing the right things and, and somebody that we can actually root for. We don't have a lot of people like that on TV anymore these days. It's all gray and it's been that way for a long time. And yeah, I get it. Gray is interesting uh, but it's not always fun to watch. And the Rings of Power, I think, maybe going for something that's a little bit more aspirational than like Breaking Bad or Mad Men or The Sopranos. So I'll give it that uh, because the Lord of the Rings books were always about people coming together and overcoming evil. And I think that's what uh, the Rings of Power is going to be about in the end. So I've been impressed with this show more so than I have been with House of the Dragon. So in that little war... Right now, Rings of Power is winning my vote. Uh, so what do you think of that? Have you been impressed with the show? Have you not been so impressed with the show? I'm not, again, I'm not a Tolkien guy. Like, I haven't never, I've never read any of those books. I'm just purely studied on the movies. Um, 
so I don't know anything about like, well, they've changed this and they've made this character different. Honestly, I could give a shit because that doesn't really like to me, the movie, the TV show should always be taken as its own thing. And the lamest criticism of a movie or TV show ever is always when somebody says, well, the book did this like that's okay, great. But it has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. I prefer the way the book did this like that. You know, that can be one thing, but just if that's all you have to say, then I don't know if you were really watching the show or if you were just thinking about the book the whole time. So Tolkien might have written one thing all those years ago, but the show is doing it this way. And for me as a TV viewer, I've been interested in what the story that they've been trying to tell. And but the way it looks, is just incredible. I just want to look around the frame every single time. I've had so much fun watching the rings of power uh, on my you know big screen every single week in 4k it just looks gorgeous uh so those are my thoughts right now on the rings of power let me know what you think uh by hitting me up at uh, theclintdavis at gmail.com or on instagram at mr clint davis these orcs were meddling with the powers of the unseen world some dark sorcery of old but what was their purpose Surely it is lost to the ages now. Whatever happened here was long ago. Even stone cannot hide the mark of one whose very hand is flame unquenched. He was here. Sauron was here. Tell the others to rest while they can. The Rings of Power is now streaming for you on Prime Video. New episodes come out every Friday on the platform. Also, I did catch Amazon's first Thursday night football game, uh, which they're carrying by themselves this year. And I was also impressed with that. Like they put some serious money behind that. It looked like a big time football broadcast down to the pregame show with really kind of analysts that I was actually interested in hearing from. Um, and on the field tables that looked pretty good. And, you know, you having one of the better booths that I've ever seen on TV. And I've watched a lot of booths, but Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet is a pretty damn good pairing. Um, and just kind of interesting and unique enough that would make some people tune in just to hear what they sound like because Herbstreet just doesn't do pro football usually. Uh, so I, I was, again, I, I think uh, Prime Video impressed me with that too. So Prime Video is kind of on a roll as far as becoming really a legitimate place uh, for kind of groundbreaking stuff in TV. Now, was it anything that I haven't seen done before in sports television? No. I was a little disappointed in that. I thought maybe it would be a little different, but I guess they just thought, you know, why fix what's not broken? And they know how, you know, how much uh, pearl clutching can be done when it comes to sports fans watching sports on TV and how they want everything to kind of feel and look the same as they're used to it. So maybe they stuck with that, but it definitely looked like they spent a lot of money. So they're burning through Jeff Bezos's cash out there just for our viewing pleasure. And you know what? I'm totally fine with that. So uh, the less he has, when he goes into his grave, the better. Spend it all on TV is what I say. Uh, and, you know, if I was a billionaire, I'd like to think that I would do the same thing. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. All right, so Andy's on the mend. Like I said, not COVID, though. He told me that, so that's good. Um, so hopefully we'll hear from him next month, but whenever he's out, I don't do a big segment on music, but instead I still keep the tradition going of adding five songs to our never ending playlist, which you can find on Spotify. Just search stream police podcast playlist and you'll see the whole thing there. You can subscribe to it. You can listen to it. We've been building on it for years and years at this point, and we will continue to do so every single month, but I'm going to add five songs to the playlist, whether Andy likes them or or not. So let's go ahead and get it going. My first song this month is uh, by a guy that you and I know as Captain Kirk. And I'm not talking about Chris Pine. I'm talking about William Shatner. He's put out a couple of albums over the years. Both of them are fairly interesting. At least I think he's got more than two now, but his first two are the ones that I, I have both of them and I like both of them. The second one was pretty serious, and he teamed up with Ben Folds to do an album called Has Been, which is a really fascinating, really kind of cool-sounding album. And one of the highlights of it is the cover of the Pulp song, Common People. Uh, and it's a, just a really cool track. So to hear William Shatner do Common People is a cool song, and that's what I'm going to put on the playlist right now. Common People by William Shatner. You'll never live like common people. You'll never do whatever common people do. You'll never fail like common people. You'll never watch your life slide out of you and dance and drink and screw. Because there's nothing else to do. do. Let's go across the pond and do a song by... The Prodigy, uh, this is the immortal Firestarter, one of my absolute favorites, especially if I'm trying to get myself pumped up for anything. I'm a Firestarter, Firestarter. is just kind of sick dark fun there uh all the way you, you gotta love industrial music i'm a i'm a big fan uh let's let's change again here let's go to jazz something that's a lot more likely to kind of get you relaxed something by the great living legend kamasi washington uh hit one of my favorite songs of his fists of fury really cool song <laughs> Thank you. 
like to give you a Zappa song whenever I'm in charge of giving you the five songs. So I'm going to keep that up and I'll give you one of my favorite just hard rocking jams of his uh, from probably my favorite studio album that he'd ever that he ever did. One size fits all. Uh, the song is San Bernardino, and it's just one of the heavier tracks in Zappa's catalog, which he's got a few of them like that. She lives in Mojave in a Winnebago. His name is Bobby. He looks like a potato. She's in love with a boy from the rodeo who pulls the rope on the chute when they let those suckers go. His name was Bobby. He looks like a potato. It's one of those lyrics I would like to get tattooed onto my skin. And finally, for obvious reasons, uh, we're going to go with a classic by Sex Pistols. And we're going to salute the Union Jack with God Save the Queen. God Save the Queen. it probably wasn't one of Elizabeth's favorite tunes, but nevertheless, uh, it's one of the icons from British music history. So as the queen, uh, bid us all farewell in this, uh, last month, I'm going to send you off with a track by the sex pistols. Those are the five songs. You can find the whole playlist over there at Spotify. Uh, and it is, again, just search Stream Police Podcast Playlist and you will find all the songs. There's so many of them now at this point, And it just goes on for days and days. Uh, but Andy will be back with five more songs next month. But there you go. That's how I did. So hope hope you appreciate those, Mr. Sedlak. I'm just trying to live by your example, my friend. All right, uh, so let me get back to TV because I want to talk about another show that has aired since the last time we spoke. And this one has wrapped its first season to much acclaim on social media, especially, and uh, with TV critics in general. And that is HBO Max's show, The Rehearsal. I guess I should just call it HBO's show. I'm just so used to calling everything HBO Max. But this show's on HBO also. But, like, this is the stream police, so we talk about what's streaming. So the rehearsal is now streaming for you in its entirety in its first season on HBO Max. And if you haven't heard of this show, um, 
I can't, there's no way I can even describe it to you. I'm going to try to give it to you in a nutshell, but it's, it's one of those that you just kind of have to watch. So the rehearsal is the new show by Nathan Fielder. He's a Canadian comic who is really one of the most unique guys working in TV. He just kind of strives to create TV shows that are kind of unlike anything that you've ever seen before. And his breakout show was the Comedy Central series, Nathan For You. And it aired for four seasons, I think. Uh, it wrapped up a couple of years ago. I've talked about Nathan For You on this show. So if you go back and you find the episode where Nathan For You is in the title, you'll hear my thoughts on that series, which I'm a huge fan of it. I will rave to that show about anyone who wants to listen. But what Nathan For You was about was like... Nathan Fielder himself went to business school before he was a comedian. So he's got like this, you know, basically rudimentary training or whatever in business. And he went to college in Canada for business. And then he turned to doing comedy for a living rather than being in business. And, you know, we're all thankful that he did because he's just been such a unique voice in TV since then. So what Nathan for you was about was he was helping small businesses and it was a reality show. He was helping small businesses by giving them totally wild pitches for ways to help their business. And sometimes they would work, sometimes they didn't. But the idea was always just completely nuts. Usually it was like loopholes in the law that he was exploiting. Uh, and he did it all with such a straight face. And the business owners always did it with a straight face as well. But usually the ideas were completely nuts and ridiculous. So uh, the Nathan for you was by itself a wild show and it's also streaming in its entirety on HBO max. So again, totally recommend you go through and watch Nathan for you. Cause I think you will really dig it, but the rehearsal is a very different show it has nothing to do with business at this point. What he's focused on in the first episode, at least is he wants to let regular people rehearse and rehearse and rehearse for some big moment that they've got coming up in life, like some big personal moment that they are dreading. And what happens in the first episode is he hooks up with this guy in New York and he always meets people through Craigslist is how he gets them to be on his TV shows. So he finds them like in the least, the most low tech way possible. Posts an ad on Craigslist, you know, basically says like he wants to help people overcome problems or, or something that they've got anxiety about. And so the guy in the first episode, he's this mild mannered dude. He lives in New York City, uh, middle aged guy. And for years, he's been doing this trivia night with friends at a bar in New York. And they're like dead serious about trivia. They're all very smart. They're all big nerds, whatever. And so years ago, like however long it's been, like 10 years ago, he lied and told one of the people that he had his master's degree. Um, he told the group that because everyone in the group had their master's and he was the only one that didn't. He just had a bachelor's degree. And so he felt like inadequate or whatever. He felt like they wouldn't want him to be on the team, even though he was clearly smart enough to be. So he told a little lie and said that he had his master's. And he said it's been eating him alive for like the last decade. So he wants to come out especially to one of the members of the group who he thinks will be really hurt by this. And that's his, his thing. He like is dreading this. He wants to come out to her and tell her, I don't have my master's. I've only got my bachelor's. I've been lying to you. You know, you've been sending me job uh, recommendations of people that, you know, you have to have a master's to get the job. And I just haven't had the heart to tell you that I don't actually have it. So he feels really bad. And so what Nathan offers him, is a chance to rehearse this moment and all the possible ways that it can go down. 
And this sounds like something that, you, you know, you might hear and think, well, that's cute and that could help somebody or whatever. But it is so serious. He reconstructs in a warehouse the bar that they go to to do their trivia night. And he reconstructs it. His team reconstructs it down to every exact detail, every poster that's on the wall, a balloon that got lost that's floating up in the ceiling because they go into the bar with hidden cameras and, and get like, uh, you know, every shot. They actually hire like actors to be fake bartenders. They hire actors to come in to be the crowd in the uh, in the place. They hire a guy to pretend he's doing the trivia night. Um, and they rehearse like nightly, hour after hour, every way that this conversation could go. They hire an actor to mimic the woman that he's, uh, you know, going to come out to essentially. And this actor gets to know this lady without her knowing it very, you know, intimately and kind of get her mannerisms down. And so he can really feel like he's having a chat with his friend. So it is insane. The level of detail that goes into this, like describing it, I'm not even doing it justice. It's one of those things you just have to see because it's so crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anything on TV that is this wild before as what I was seeing in the first episode of the rehearsal. I, I don't understand why you felt the need to lie about your education. I mean, it's really messed up. I, you, you, for years, we were trying to help you get a job because you said you had a master's degree, and that was all bullshit. Well, I'm Is to... this what you think a friendship is? Like, you have no respect for me, no respect for my time. I don't give a crap about your education. But a 12-year deception, that's 12 years. It's unforgivable. I don't want to talk to you again. Please don't go. He lied about having a master's degree. I just heard their conversation. <laughs> no master's degree? This guy is such a fraud. Who doesn't have a master's degree? And the loser of tonight's trivia is Corsteet. So he does the rehearsal and then he eventually feels comfortable enough to do it for real. They shoot it with hidden cameras and, you know, you get to see kind of how the whole thing went and did it go according to all these plans that they had made? Did the rehearsing actually help this guy feel a little bit more confident going into uh, this big moment of his life and how's his friend going to react and all that. So it's all shot. It's like, it's a reality show, but you know, they're, they're trying to script reality by getting this guy ahead of all the possible curveballs that could be thrown his way. And that's what the rehearsal, that's what Nathan Fielder says he wants the show to be about. He wants people to feel like they are in control of whatever situation they're about to walk into. So it's like motivational almost rather than being a business show. But as the show goes on and as episode after episode happens, and it's a short first season, it's like eight episodes, I want to say, half hour to 40 minute episodes, the show turns into something completely different and you feel like you're watching, like you've almost been duped into watching Nathan Fielder go through therapy for his own issues in his life, including a divorce that he had recently had and, you know, his maybe desire to have children at some point. Um, so it is such a wild ride and it cannot be described. It's totally unpredictable. And the budget is huge because these recreations that they do are like no detail is skimped over. It's incredible. Like to watch them build this little bar and fill it with all these details and fill it with actors. It's, it's amazing that you're watching this. Like you just can't believe what you're seeing. And the people at HBO had to be like, what the fuck did we like? 
green light here. Like, what have we get? This guy is a monster. We've given him all this money. Um, but it's so original that it, it has to be watched. You have to watch this show. Uh, and I think you will get something out of it, whether or not you feel anything deeper than, oh my God, this guy's nuts, uh, is up to you. But I really, by the end, you know, kind of was moved in places and felt like I was watching something truly original and unique in the history of TV. And I've watched a lot of it over the years, my friend. And for as great as Nathan for you was, the rehearsal feels like something like Peabody worthy. It just feels really important and really interesting and so out there that I give HBO credit for going forward with this show. Um, and I'll be really interested to see if this show does go forward with another season based on the changes that have been happening behind the scenes at HBO Max and the merger with HGTV and the fact that they're trying to court middle America or whatever it is that you're hearing you know, in the, in the reports now about what's happening there behind the scenes. So that's a bummer. So I'll be interesting if the, the interested to see if the rehearsals on the chopping block because I really could see it being that. But I think if it ended with this one season, it would still go down as really one of the more interesting and I don't know about important because it does feel self-indulgent as hell, but one of the most original shows to ever hit TV. So if you're looking for something to sit down with and just get lost in and not think about what's going on in your own life because you're just sitting there going, what the fuck am I watching? Check out the rehearsal because it is a wild, wild ride. Uh, and the whole first season is streaming now for you on HBO Max. You will tear through it because you'll just want to see where this thing is, go- is going. And the twists and turns it takes as it goes are incredible. And uh, what it can kind of teach you about life and the things that happen in life and how being unprepared might actually be a good thing um, is are, are good lessons, I think, for a lot of us to learn. So it's a, it's a show that has lofty goals, but doesn't come across that way. It doesn't come across like it's trying to teach you anything. It comes across like it's a guy trying to learn these things himself, not necessarily trying to pass the things, the lessons on to you. So that's another way. Nathan Fielder is just an endearing guy too. I just find him to be someone who is very authentic in his TV shows. So whether or not he is, you know, I mean, I think that's up for debate, but he just feels like somebody who is authentic uh, and interesting. And the people that he gets on this show are really just characters in and of themselves. They're just kind of out there. The people that would answer an ad like this on Craigslist anyway would have to be kind of weird, right? And I think that's what you see in the rehearsal. So check it out. It's streaming now on HBO Max. I guarantee you, you will have never seen anything like it in your life and you may never see anything like it again. So enjoy it while you can, my friends. Nathan Fielder with a massive budget, the rehearsal on HBO Max. Adam was turning nine and I realized I hadn't thrown him a single birthday party. To save money, it was suggested I use background actors for all the party guests. But I only remembered once they showed up that union rules prohibit extras from speaking. I guess they say gluten-free is, like, healthier, so, yeah. Um. Right, uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, get back to, yeah. I guess when normal shows do stuff like this, they add fake party chatter in post-production. 
But when the point is to actually experience it in the moment, it doesn't quite work. Happy birthday to you. You guys can, you can clap, yeah. It wasn't the most realistic party, but it saved us over $15,000. And most importantly, Adam seemed to be having a blast. I have been talking so much TV, uh, and I really, I watched a ton of TV this month, and I didn't even get to talk about um, Netflix's uh, Sandman, which I want, I've been watching as well. I want to finish the first season before I get to that, so I think next month I'll be telling you about the Sandman and my thoughts on that, but... I want to talk to you about uh, some movies at the end of the show, as I always like to do. I always like to leave you out the door with recommendations streaming on Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about the best movie I watched this month. And the best one that I watched out of all the movies I caught this month uh, was 1964's Failsafe, directed by Sidney Lumet, maybe my favorite director. This was one I hadn't seen. Lumet was so prolific. Uh, that it's hard to even see all of his movies, but I, I'm working my way through the list. But my God, I love Sidney Lumet. There's just few guys that, um, just like a pure filmmaker, just no frills, uh, great stories, great character moments, um, you know, just nothing fancy whatsoever. Lumet was just a master craftsman, and this uh, movie, Failsafe, is as bleak as he ever got, and I say that as someone who is a big fan of The Pawn Broker, which he also directed and is also one of the bleakest movies you will ever see. Uh, but Failsafe is something totally different. So this movie is was you know made during the height of the you know Cold War tensions, the uh, you know the the whole Cuban Missile Crisis, fear of nuclear war, all that kind of stuff had been swirling around America for years at that point, and. What, what sucks is Failsafe came out the same year as Dr. Strangelove. So it's constantly overshadowed because the movies are very similar. Like what Failsafe is about is all of these government failsafes that are in place to keep like an accidental nuclear war from starting. Um, and of course they fail. And the, you know, the government has to get to the bottom of how this happened you know, are we going to be into mutually assured destruction, you know, now with Russia, uh, which makes this movie even kind of more intense to watch in today's climate. Uh, but it is deadly serious, whereas Dr. Strangelove was obviously a satire and it totally just blew everything up. It was so can't like not campy, but it just made the whole idea of nuclear war sound ridiculous and the uh, of these men in government being in charge of all of our fates to be ridiculous which it really is uh but failsafe is serious in the way it handles all this stuff because also this is very serious stuff there's no humor in this movie it's nuclear noir 100 percent. it's one of those movies that's aimed at scaring straight anyone in power so it's like it, they were i think lumet and the filmmakers were the producers were hoping that people in power would see this movie and be scared to ever use, like they were just hoping for nuclear disarmament completely when this movie came out. Henry Fonda plays the president, one of the best presidents I've ever seen portrayed on screen and totally a guy that you would love to have sitting in the White House at any point. Uh, and Walter Matthau plays an intellectual who just yearns to see what nuclear war is capable of making happen on the global you know, political stage. So it's a really interesting part for Mathau because he's not very likable here. Um, 
and he plays a very different kind of part than what I'm used to seeing him play, which is is the more kind of uh, I don't know about blue collar because Mathau played all kinds of different you know characters throughout his career, but this was just this was a unique role for me to him to, for him to be kind of antagonistic uh, at a point and. It, I just was blown away by this movie. I thought it was great. So if you don't mind biting all your fingernails off, check out Failsafe. It is uh, streaming now on Tubi and on Crackle with ads at both places. So it's free to stream at Tubi and Crackle. You can also check it out, I think, on the Criterion channel. uh, And it is out in the Criterion collection as well. So 1964's Failsafe, the best movie I watched this month. So serious, so dire. And just so grim, I was blown away by how grim this movie was. It was it was legitimately scary, honestly. Was it your jamming that kept us from getting through to our planes? I do not know about this jamming. I think he does. We cannot be responsible for your mechanical failures. Is it possible? Could it have happened? You ask for proof, Mr. Chairman. This could be it. Arguing back and forth. Don't trust you. Have to trust you. It's a trick. We're paying for our mutual suspicions, Mr. Chairman. I realize that. But the wall must be broken. We have to break it down now. We can't afford not to trust each other. We jammed your radios with a special device even I did not know about. I suppose I must be very proud of our scientists. Finally, let me give you some movies to add to your cues in Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max. I usually like to give you two movies from each, something light, something dark, depending on the mood that you're in. But as I've said before, sometimes that's not possible. So I just have to give you something dark and something dark or something light and something light. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that as we sort these through. But anyway, two movies each on those services. First, we'll start on Netflix. I'm going to give you, uh, as my lighter pick, uh, and it's not even really that light of a movie, 1989's Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Iconic B movie, um, but I call it an A movie because I just love this film. I, I, it, to me, it is, yeah, is it big and dumb? Sure. I mean, there's a guy driving a monster truck uh, over a, cars at a car lot to get back at his, uh, you know, at a slight, a per- personal slight that he's perceived. So it's ridiculous, you know, the villain driving a monster truck and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we've got a character ripping another guy's throat out with his bare hands. Uh, as they fight on the water next to, you know, next to the water on like a sandy beach. It's it's incredible. The filmmaking is just cranked up to 11. Everything is here. It's so over the top. The music is phenomenal. Swayze was never better uh, and just has presence for days. And it's just a killer, killer movie. I, I love it. Uh, and Ben Gazzara, I've said it a hundred times. Ben Gazzara can make any movie better. And he certainly makes Roadhouse better by being the villain. In it, so check it out on Netflix. It's it's one of the great guilty pleasure movies of all time, but I don't even consider it guilty because I just think it's truly awesome, as far as an action film goes. Roadhouse is like all attitude all the time, but you know the main character Dalton does kind of have like a, a soft spot and a soft heart. So they give him he's kind of a more dimensional character than a lot of action heroes are. But there's so much attitude in Roadhouse that it just it's just despair. Sam Elliott's great too. 
Um, also, uh, something dark for you on Netflix, 1994's Clear and Present Danger, talking about great action movies. This is the best of the Jack Ryan movies, in my opinion. I do like uh, A Hunt for Red October a lot, too, but Clear and Present Danger is like a more badass Jack Ryan, and Harrison Ford is awesome in, in, uh, in this film, and it's just, to me, this is great like 1990s Harrison Ford when he was still at the peak of his powers as far as his looks and his his weight on screen uh and being able to you could buy him like kicking people's asses but also being the smartest guy in the room this is a great time to be a movie fan and uh Clear and Present Danger is just a really cool big budget political action thriller and it's streaming now on Netflix it's way better than Patriot Games. Patriot Games is the is worse of the two. And even though Patriot Games became out first, Clear and Present Danger is the better of the two of those Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movies, if you ask me anyway. Uh, let's go to Prime Video, something light for you. I actually don't have anything light for you. I've got two horror movies for you on Prime Video because they're both really good ones, and we're getting close to October. 2003's Cabin Fever, I'm going to throw at you first, directed by Eli Roth. This is the movie that kind of put him on the map. Uh, and probably still is the best movie that he's made in his entire career. It's, uh, you know, really a little bit campy. It kind of plays on the stuff that made the all those 80s slasher movies so great, but it also ratchets up the gore and also has some really funny moments uh, and has some legitimate scares in it as well. It's got like all the tropes of classic slasher movies, but with some twists thrown in there as well. And it's just got some gruesome, nasty uh, visual effects in it. So check it out. Cabin Fever from 2003 and from 2008, one of my favorite horror movies ever made. Let the right one in. It's a uh, foreign language. So if that scares you, then don't check it out. But, uh, you know, you can watch the dub if you want, but I wouldn't recommend that. Watch it subbed and get lost in the story. It's a great character story about, uh, you know, a, a young looking vampire. She's actually very old, but she's, she's got the, you know, body and looks of a child and so that kind of puts a, a really unique twist on the whole vampire story here and I totally recommend you check this one out directed by the great Thomas Alfredson one of my favorites in the business and uh, on Hulu now we've got a couple of really good ones for you from the 90s also something light I'm going to give you the people versus Larry Flint from 1996 great acting powerhouse showcase from Woody Harrelson uh, when people may not have expected that, it, it was directed by Milos Forman, who gave us, to me, my, what might be the best biopic ever made, which was Man on the Moon, the Jim Carrey, uh, Andy Kaufman biopic. That, to me, is the high watermark for, for Hollywood biopics, certainly. And The People vs. Larry Flint is the precursor to that. This is a biopic of Larry Flint, the Hustler, uh, you know, Hustler magazine publisher. And uh, this goes into kind of his like life starting the magazine and being sued for obscenity and stuff like that. And it's a really good performance uh, from Woody Harrelson in the lead there. It's, just a, it's a cool movie that has kind of been lost in the discourse about 1990 cinema. So check that one out. Something dark for you on Hulu from 1998. He got game. Maybe my favorite sports movie ever. Uh, you got Denzel Washington. You got Jim Brown. Um, you know, you've got Ray Allen playing Jesus Shuttlesworth, Rosario Dawson. It's just an awesome movie. It's got some great music in it. It's got, uh, you know, just a, a really cool story about a father and a son, um, and all the, you know, what, all the challenges in a relationship like that. 
Uh, and it's a, it's just a really gritty basketball movie. The basketball in it is beautifully shot with fantastic Aaron Copeland classical music behind it. Really unique. Uh, it's Spike Lee kind of at the peak of his powers there. Check it out. He Got Game from 1998. And finally on HBO Max, something light. Doesn't get a whole lot lighter than 1980's Airplane. They've also got uh, 1982's Airplane 2 colon the sequel streaming so check both of those out because they're both you know variations on a theme and if you've never seen airplane what are you waiting on it's still so funny to this day i'm gonna go back and stream it here probably as soon as i get off uh, done recording this because i just can never watch that movie enough times it's it's endlessly quotable still hilarious to this day and uh it basically gave birth to an entire genre of movies where they're just spoofing other movies and you know, we can maybe be pissed off about Airplane for that, but it kind of set the bar high for those kinds of movies. And also on HBO Max, something dark, and they really don't get a lot darker than this, 1988's The Accused with Jodie Foster, uh, where she plays a woman who is graphically, violently uh, gang-raped in a bar uh, by a group of men with witnesses all around. And she has to fight for, like, her life to get this you know, case seen in court and to be, and to prevail with justice. Uh, and it's, it's a movie that is so timely still to this day. It's a really good feminist film, um, and a really good legal thriller as well. Good courtroom action. And Jodie Foster is powerhouse in it as she usually is. Uh, but this one, that is a tough watch. The, the actual scene, the, the, when you see the rape going down, it is one of the hardest scenes I've ever watched in a movie. And it's one of those where if I watch this movie again, I think I might have to skip through it because it is so, it is just so unflinchingly done. Um, and certainly not the first movie or last movie to have a scene like that in it, but I think it's just really, um, brutal the way that they put it on the screen. And that's for good reason. So the accused right now is streaming on HBO max. And I, I recommend it if you can, if you can stomach it, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting adult thriller. So check that one out right now on HBO max. So there you go. There's some movies, some shows to check out. Uh, as always, I want to urge you to, um, subscribe to the show. If you haven't rate us as well, that always helps with a small little mom and pop operation like this one. Uh, and find us online. You can find me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. You can find me on TikTok at the same place. You can find me uh, on uh, Letterboxd with the same name also. And you can find Andy on Instagram at Sedlak, or at, I'm sorry, at uh, Andy Sedlak. And his last name is spelled S E D L A K. And you can email him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. You can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. I will talk to you all in another few weeks here on the Stream Police. Until then, my friend, stream on. Peter Piper, Peter Piper, Peter Piper. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.